whether or not we all realize it, those of us who serve the Lord are participating in the most epic adventure of all time, space, and history. I think it's about time that we start celebrating the miraculous and wonderful ways that God touches our lives in everyday circumstances. I'm Karen Pennington, and this is Daily Adventures in Grace. Hey friends, Karen Pennington here. And you know, this must be my granddaughter's cute week because I've been thinking about her a lot. And of course, <laughs> every week is my granddaughter's cute week. But this week in particular, she is particularly reminding me of the grace of God. And this is my thought for you today. Toddlers are adorable, but they're horrible drivers. <laughs> How do I know this? Other than common sense. Not because my, my granddaughter has ever driven our car or anything really dumb like that. But she has uh, driven her stroller, per se. Now, she has a little baby stroller for her for baby doll, a baby doll stroller. And she's very good at that. She practices it a lot. It's little. But her, her big stroller, not even like the big jogging stroller, just the regular size fold-up thing that we can throw in the back of our car with a bunch of other things. Uh, we use that a lot because I like to walk, so we take her on walks. And once we get to the store, she gets out of the stroller and she wants to drive it. <laughs> And so, in the store, I give her a shot. But I'll tell you, I have to be careful what aisle we're in. Because she gets in a lot of accidents. She, I don't know if you've ever seen a toddler drive something big, but she sort of veers it one way or the other. When she wants to help drive the shopping cart, that's interesting. Because I'm basically holding her in one hand and course correcting her with the other hand, this big shopping cart. It's not easy. But it's funny because she pushes, and there's two things. Number one, her muscles aren't developed very well. Uh, you know, she's still learning that. And number two, she can't see where she's going because she's so short. So she just pretty much runs into things. And since she's also not that strong yet, it usually isn't hurtful. As long as we're in the right aisle, there's just like a little bump and she turns. And um, I let her do it because she's cute and I love her and it doesn't hurt anything and it is developing her muscles. But there's another way that I know she's a horrible driver. She just started with the tricycle. I um, got this really cool, of course, at a consignment store, really cool tricycle that she can sit in and it has a little thing over the top for shade or if it's sunny and it has all these little attachments. And But the one I really love is it's this big long kind of a, almost a stick handlebar thing that you stick in the back of the tricycle. It's a tiny little tricycle because she's only just barely two. But you stick it in the back and you can use it. Basically, the tricycle turns into a, a stroller in a sense. But So she's learning her hand-eye foot coordination because she always pedals. She's doing great at pedaling. She doesn't really have the strength, particularly if we're going up any kind of an incline. She doesn't really have the strength to do it with all her might. So I can give her a little push. And sometimes I let her do a little bit of the work, and I do a little bit of the work. And also, she's a horrible driver. She's a horrible driver. And so I'll bring her into malls. You know how, like, when you learned how to drive, <laughs> when I learned how to drive, one of the first places they bring you is a parking lot. And then you can go slowly, and there's room to course correct, you know, when you're veering the wrong way. So so I don't bring her to an empty parking lot. That, well, that would be dumb. I bring my 
granddaughter to our empty mall. We have a mall that almost no one goes to and she gets to learn how to drive her tricycle there and it's really kind of funny to see because sometimes she'll just gently lean in the wrong direction. She doesn't realize that her, her she's like really veered off course about to run into something. Sometimes I do let her run into stuff because she's only going you know a tenth of a mile an hour but sometimes I'll go okay you got to you got to turn the wheel. And she never just turns it slightly. She never does that thing, you know, that we learn how to do once we've been really good drivers for a while where you're just making the tiny little course corrections here and there. She does that thing where that brand new driver does, only worse, where she goes a little way and like, Argh! and all the way, all of a sudden, there's this sharp turn. And she usually giggles because she scares herself a little bit. She startles herself. but So there's another option. I can let her do this. Sometimes I let her do it because it, it, she's learning. But like if we're really just walking around the mall or if we're on a sidewalk, I still let her drive. I still put her hands on the her things. But I have my hands on the back on this little steering wheel in the back. So first of all, when she runs out of steam, which is very quickly, I can push. So she's still, it feels like to her, her, her feet are on the pedals. It feels like she's doing it. But I can push, but I can also make those tiny little course corrections that keep her on the right path. And I've been able to let go a little bit in certain places, not on hills, not on sidewalks, and let her do it. But I still have the power to course correct when needed. Uh, because right now she doesn't have uh, the hand-eye coordination, the ability, the muscles. You know, she's still learning. So I'm still able to stand behind her, allow her to be part of the process, but also course correct. And are we not, I mean, tell me the truth, are we not all just toddlers <laughs> on a tricycle that has an adult handlebar behind us. You know, are we not all just those people that are going along in life, just trying to learn how to do it, maybe getting better at our discernment, but sometimes we need course correction, and sometimes when we course correct on our own, sometimes when we're veered in the wrong way, just little tiny movements and all of a sudden we're off track. We're jerking around, and and the more that we try to do it on our own in our life, we, we're kind of, you know, I've ever felt like I'm, something's jerking my life around. I'm jerking my life around. It's like you do one thing and all of a sudden you look back and go, man, how did I get this far from where I wanted to be? So you make a drastic change in the other direction. And pretty soon it just feels like your life is this disheveled, chaotic mess. And how do I get this way and how do I fix it? And we cry out to God and say, help me and fix me. And that's good. That's all well and good. But what would happen if every day... We were asking God to course correct. What if every day we said, all right, God, I want to be part of this process. I want to do my due diligence. I want to move my feet on the pedals. I want to try to steer, but I want you to be, I want you to have the handlebars at the back. I want you to be the one that course corrects me because I know that I cannot stay on this path myself. Man, I wish I had a picture of that tricycle. It's just a regular tricycle. You know, it's, but it has those bars in the back where we can steer and push. And when we say, God, I'm trying to get up this hill, but I need you to push. I don't have enough strength to do it on my own. I think there's some wisdom, wisdom literature in that. First of all, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it used to be a favorite verse, I believe. Probably the second verse I ever memorized, second two verses I ever memorized, other than, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Of course, John 3.16. And the next was this. It was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is the New Revised Standard Version. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. <laughs> so we get to ride our little toddler tricycles. And when we're inviting God, asking God, giving God permission. God doesn't really need permission, but a lot of times God will not force himself on us, so he likes an invitation, you know. To say, God, I'm doing my best, I'm enjoying the process, my, my, you know, don't get off the tricycle, you know. <laughs> don't, don't say, never mind, I give up, I'm not trying, but I'm on, I'm on the tricycle, my feet are on the wheels, I'm doing my best, God, and I'm asking you to course correct me when I'm, when I'm, when I'm really trying to look forward, but my hands are going in the wrong direction. Or like when I, oh my goodness, when I first learned how to drive, fortunately we were in parking lots, I would look at a direction, my hand would go the direction. My hand would go in the direction that I looked. And uh, that's what my granddaughter does, you know. So while we're getting stronger. And um, I think we do get better in our discernment. I think we do get better in our ability to walk the straight and narrow, but we never get perfect. We're definitely, definitely always needing to ask God to help us and help us and help us. And honestly, just like my granddaughter getting that bigger stroller and the bigger bike, sometimes as we get better with what God's given us, he gives us something bigger. You know, he gives us a bigger bike. <laughs> we always need him to course correct. Uh, another great verse I heard this morning, or I read this morning in my devotions, um, Happy are those whom you discipline, whom you teach of your law. That sounds weird, because um, discipline, it's like the big D word. It's that word in this culture we don't like. We think of discipline. We think of punishment. We think of, you know, doldrum. I don't want to do this. We think of, why are you saying life is not fun? And um, <laughs> a little bit later, it says... When I thought my foot was slipping, this is Psalm 94, 18. When I thought my foot was slipping, your steadfast love, O Lord, helped me up. So when we're talking about discipline, we're talking about course correction. We're not talking about that stern teacher from the 1800s who has, is standing behind you staring at everything you do with the switch, ready to swat your hands or your behind every time you make a mistake or do something offensive. This It's not about waiting for you to mess up so that you can get punished. God's not about punishment at all. God's about course correction, not so we can feel good or authoritarian, but so that we can live our best life. The same way that I would course correct my granddaughter, not so that I can tell her, look at how horrible of a tricycle rider you are, but so that I can help her develop. Sometimes I let her make a little bit of her own mistakes, only to a certain amount, so that she can develop her muscles. But ultimately, I'm always there to keep her within the bounds of safety and to help her stay on the right path while she's learning. And that's who God is. How much more is God like that to us? How much more is like God like that to us? So in a culture where we fear discipline, where we look down on discipline, where we ignore discipline, where we say, I'm going to do what I want, and if you don't want me to do it, then you must not love me. I'm going to Live how I want. If you don't want me to do it, then you must not love me. And you say, well, what if you want to go kill a baby? And they go, well, that's different. What's different? If you want to do something that is not right, that is not God's will, no matter how you feel, you know, if, 
if my granddaughter sees something in the parking lot or sees something in the middle of the road and turns her arms towards that and looks at it and moves toward, towards it, even if she wants to move towards it, I'm still going to course correct her. That's not authoritarianism. That's not religious mindset. That's love. And that's what God does for us. And hopefully that's what we do for our children, um, for those even who are in authority under us. I'm not suggesting that they're children, but sometimes people in an organization, in a church, uh, don't always have all of the information. Um, not that they're dumb or anything like that. You know, I've been in situations, I've been in jobs where decisions are made I may or may not agree with, but I have to admit, I don't know all of the information that went into that decision. It's not always appropriate for me to know. That's why God asks us to trust authorities. And actually, not trust authorities. Trust Him as the authority. And trust that He is able to course correct. Uh, now, there's a whole other chapter. Actually, there's lots of chapters that talk about God's discipline. That it's not against us. It's not against bad living. Actually, it's for good living. The same way, you know, when you have those, those ingredients about how to bake a really good pie or a really good cake. Or I'm hungry again. Um, <laughs> you, it's not because God is against you putting hot sauce. I want to put hot sauce in my cookies or things like that. It's because that would be gross. It's because the, it, these are the ingredients of how to live your best life. What if we thought about God's discipline instead of a switch or a rope or a scourge as a really, really good recipe book that says... This is how to make the sweetest life for yourself. This is how to make the most savory, wonderful experience that you can intake from our Lord. Now, does it totally screw up the recipe if you put in 1.1 teaspoons of sugar instead of one? No, God's not like that. It's not like, oh, you put a fifteenth of an inch of whatever, you put 3% too much in, it's not what it is. It's here's your best life. You know, it's, it's not about precision. It's about faith. It's about going at it wholeheartedly. And yeah, we want to do it the best we can, but we're not going to worry about, I did a splash too much of lemon juice here or, uh, you know, teaspoon too much of water there. That's, that's not what that's about. But Psalm 119 talks Longest, longest chapter in the Bible. And talks about how wonderful, wonderful God's word is and God's love is because it's a course corrector. Now, my, my granddaughter would not say, man, she doesn't have this many words yet, but I wish the gam would just let me drive. She, she has so much fun and she feels safe because she has just a little bit of an ability to wiggle and to move, knowing that I'm there keeping her from going too far. And that's what God's word is for us. We can have freedom to express ourselves and to move forward and try things. But we always have to be coming back to God. We always have to be seeking God in the morning. And it's not like, oh no, I can't try that new steak because I'm going to offend God. That's not it. It's that we we have a little bit of freedom. She has a little bit of freedom to pedal and move, but there's also reliance and even expectation that, um, and a desire that if she starts to move too far in the wrong direction, I can bring her back so she can get those muscles and that discernment. Um, 
Psalm, I need to get back in my phone now. Psalm 119, 105. There are so, I could read through so many Psalms, 119 verses, to tell you how great it is to have the course correction. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my for my path. I mean, that says it all. Now, I just want to go through one more thing. We've been talking about the kings, um, and four kings in particular yesterday we talked about, as kind of a sign and a warning. Um, we had King Hezekiah, who was king for... 29 years. 14 of those years he was great. He's known for those great 14 years, but he got sick. God prolonged his life in those last 15 years. He got cocky. He invited people in the temple who were not Christians, or who were not, I'm sorry, believers. Nobody was a Christian back then, who were not believers and showed him all the sacred things that were meant for God. And those are the very people who, a little bit over 100 years later, 150 years later, 120 years later, I guess, came back and sacked that temple. That Those were the people that put their eye on the things of God, not so that they could honor them, but so they could steal them. Uh, and that was the King Hezekiah, whose son Manasseh saw him and saw his cockiness and saw his unfaithfulness and followed suit in his own reign. And then there was Manasseh who started so horrible, so horrible, until God humbled him and he took that humbling and repented. Uh, but before he'd done that, he was killing his sons. He was sending them through the fire. So one of the sons, who was too young to go through that, um, had seen Manasseh's unfaithfulness. And so even though Manasseh's changed, heart changed, that son became another horrible, horrible king. Started off well, and then was just killed by his own people two years later. But here we have one of the greatest hopes. And this is Josiah great-grandson of Hezekiah, who started out great and ended up cocky, grandson of Manasseh, who started as one of the greatest abominations of a king in all Judah's history, but gives us hope about if God can change his heart and God can change his Judah under his reign, God can change anybody. This guy was killing his, not just babies, he was killing his own babies. He was bringing in shrines and probably temple prostitutes and any kind of abomination right into the house of the Lord. Um, but showed Josiah, who seemed to have learned from Manasseh's unfaithfulness and his repentance, and said, Josiah, this is uh, chapter 34 of Second Chronicles. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. I love this. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his ancestors, David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Talk about the course correction and staying the course. This is what we get. Josiah started when he was eight, for in the eighth year of his reign, so when he was 15, 16 years old, he, while he was still a boy, he began to seek the God of his ancestors, David. He seeked God's correction. One of the greatest reigns. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the sacred poles, and, caught, and the carved and cast out images. He sought the Lord. He sought the Lord's correction. He sought the Lord's guidance. He trusted in the Lord with all his heart and didn't lean on his own understanding and in all his ways acknowledged him. And so he started to purify the temple. And when they found the book of the law and he heard the book of the law, he lamented that they hadn't and he made them start living and moving according to the law. A little bit further down, 
verse 31. I'm almost there. Um, The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the people in Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. The king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, keeping his commandments, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. Discipline. Course correction. It's a good thing. Punishment. We don't have to worry about that for Christians. Because if we're really living for the Lord, we're talking about God does things that are good for us. And they may hurt us, but they'll ultimately lead to our good, even if they hurt us a little bit. They may keep us from following that squirrel going off the road, but they keep us on the straight and narrow and they help us. So today I want to be grateful. I guess my challenge today for myself and for you is to be grateful for those things that God throws in our life to course correct us, to be grateful for God's discipline. Sometimes when something hard happens or something difficult happens, it's difficult to discern. Did this happen because of something I did? Is this an attack of Satan? Is this something God sent so that I would come closer to him? And I think it isn't, while it is important to take ownership and responsibility of our mistakes, um, our God is not one of condemnation. Sometimes I think it's all of it. Sometimes Satan will throw something our way specifically because we're being faithful but he has access to it because of something we would have done to give him a foothold. But either way, God uses it. God will take the fiery arrows that the enemy shoots our way for whatever reason and turn it into the refiner's fire. See, with God, we serve in Romans 8.28, God, who uses all things to the good of those who love him. With God, everything can be a course correction when we learn to, when we lean into him, when we lean in not into our own understanding. Josiah had a huge course correction because Manasseh had started, his grandfather had started to purify all the horrible things he did wrong. But then his father spent two years doing the exact opposite and he spent four years just trying to figure out what the truth was, you know. And he course corrected, not because it wasn't fun, not because it wasn't about fun or not fun. It was about best. And I'll tell you what, when we course correct, there is nothing more enjoyable than being in the center of God's will, free of guilt, free of shame, understanding that I can enjoy life and I don't have to be affected by little things that come against me because I know that God can use them. I don't have to fear punishment because I know I'm walking in God's way. And I don't have to fear God's correction because when I make mistakes, even when I do sin, I throw them up to God and God not only will say you're forgiven, he'll redeem it, he'll use it. He'll use even my mistakes as a witness to others. That's a pretty good tricycle to ride on, don't you think? 
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for my beautiful baby, my beautiful grandbaby, and the lessons she teaches me and myself. I really do feel like I'm on a tricycle, and you have the handles, Lord. And I ask you to steer me. I, I, I'm going to try, Lord. I enjoy having my feet on the pedals. I enjoy being part of the journey. But I know I need you to course correct probably more often than I realize. And I invite you to do that, Lord. I invite you to help me become a better driver. I invite you to increase my discernment and increase my faith in all of our faith, Lord. But we just want to lean into you today and tell you, first of all, if there's an area where we got to steer better, let us know, Lord. But in those areas we don't understand, we certainly give you permission and ask you to take the wheel. Just plant your words in our heart, Lord. We need it. We need you. In your name, amen. Be blessed today, my friends, and enjoy your journey.